Hey, good morning, 1130 service. How's everybody doing today? You doing all right? Yes, good to see you. My name is Richie, our lead pastor here, and I'm really thankful that we get to be together today in this moment. And uh, I always believe this, but uh, I just like to remind us that every time we're together like this, these are special moments. And I believe with all my heart that God got you here for a reason today. He wants to speak to you, make himself known in you. Uh, he wants to encourage you, maybe correct you, challenge you. He's going to do so much in this time together. It takes a, an expectant heart from you, a heart that's humble and ready. God, speak, direct, lead, move in my life. Um, my assumption is that you're here with a hunger inside you today. We don't just check religious boxes and go through motions. That's wasting everybody's time. Amen? And we are here to really be changed by the love of Jesus. We're on a mission together, right? That's why we're here is to be equipped for that mission to reach this world for Jesus one person at a time. God is moving around here and lives are being changed. Last week we got to baptize three more people into Jesus Christ. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? And I love seeing these lives change. I was talking to uh, Ben and Megan and um, Josh and their group was baptized at our Monday night uh, new groups just this last week. And I love seeing that because Ben and Megan are people like you. They're, they're medical professionals here in our city that just have a heart for people. They're, they're not like big theologians and got it all figured out. They just want to help, love, serve people, meet them where they're at and help them to know Jesus. And that willingness, God showed up in it and brought them, Josh, to the new group. And uh, Josh had a lot of questions about what it meant to follow Jesus, what it looked like, what, he, what all God could do in his life. And they just began to journey with them over several weeks. And I think it was by week seven, uh, Josh was like, you know what? My next step is to get baptized and to follow Jesus. And so last week, uh, week eight of that, he said yes. And, and uh, we got to baptize him right up here. And, and, and I just think about Ben and Megan as just a picture of you. All of us being empowered for the work of God. God wants to use you to see lives changed. And um, man, Ben and Megan give me so much hope that, that normal people like us, God can use to see lives changed for all of eternity. Amen? And uh, man, I, I get excited about that because I tend to overcomplicate things and God likes to keep things simple, right? He likes to keep things simple. That's why uh, Tyler mentioned it earlier. We're going to pray um, next weekend. We are going to, we're going to host 24 hours of prayer right here in this building and um, we want you to just be here maybe for an hour, a couple hours. Uh, maybe you'll come a different couple parts of, during the 24 hours. But we're going to pray that God would be working this Easter and believing that uh, he's going to do something supernatural this year. And, and we'll finish that prayer vigil with uh, a time of worship together. Matthew and the team is going to lead us uh, next Saturday night, 5 p.m. to 6.30. And we'd love for you to be here uh, for an hour. Come back for that, that time of worship to really cap off that 24 hours together. Uh, I believe God is going to set up a miraculous Easter this year as we just seek him in prayer. Does that sound good? I want you to be a part of it. And so uh, make sure if you didn't get my email with the link to sign up, uh, just put it on your Connect card there and we'll help you make sure you got a, an hour to come pray. I got to be in, um, in um, a big conference last week. It was pretty cool. It, it was, um, it's one that I've been to lots and lots of times. It's the largest church planning uh, conference in the, in the world. And uh, it's encouraging um, lead pastors like me and other lead pastors around the country to be about the kingdom and to um, raise up the next generation of leaders and send them out to go plant more churches. The, the way to reach this world for Jesus, right, is by not only multiplying disciples in our groups and in relationship, but also multiplying entire churches. By God's grace, we've been able to plant a bunch of churches out of here. Love being a part of that, getting to speak at this thing. But 
It was very convicting for me being there. I, I coach a bunch of guys around the country, lead pastors that help them become disciple-making churches like what we're attempting to do here. And um, I think there's 10 of them now that I meet with on, on Zoom, you know, all, all throughout the country. Get to meet several of them there. It was super fun. It's like speed dating and kind of like online dating. You're like, oh, you're shorter than I thought. You know, it's like this like uh, eh, fun though. Really cool to get to, to be a part of. And um, as a church, you know, that, that we're on a mission to reach the world, these kind of moments are really significant because our impact can multiply, right? God can work in one lead pastor's heart and now his whole church could change. And then the way that disciples are being made in their church can start to change and churches can actually get planted out of that church and more lives can be changed. Like it's multiplying to see what God can do uh, through this and very humbling. And for me, so reflective coming back from that, just going, hey, is that really like the kind of leader I am? Is that really who we are as a church? Are we really like this disciple-making, church-planting church? Is that really what we're about? Or if I'm honest, I was looking at my own leadership coming back going, yeah, but it, it's pretty easy for me to just go through the motions and do church and run programs and run a church and just do the things that churches should do. It's kind of a slide. It's an erosion that that happens in my heart into normalcy and just, you know, I said it a minute ago, we don't come in here to check religious boxes and we're all like, yeah, you know, but, but really, honestly, right? Like, am I here today to honestly be a part of a mission that's going to change the world? Amen. And God was just challenging me so much coming out of that conference going, Richie, are you actually committed and dreaming about and praying about reaching the entire world with my love? Or are you settling in to just running a church? And I think that that tension, that erosion that can happen in my heart can happen in your heart. We've been studying God's story and the story of his people. And that erosion happened in their hearts as well. I want you to open your Bible to 2 Kings chapter 23 today. That is a book in the Bible, I promise. Second <laughs> Kings chapter 23. If you need to look it up in the table of contents or Google that. We're entering into a period of Israel's history where uh, it's challenging. Grayson led us through the conquest where, where God's people weren't really a people. They were wanderers in the desert and then God had promised them a land and then they go into the land and take possession of the land and now they're a people and they've got borders and they've got, you know, tribes and they're kind of broken up all throughout their land and, and, and this is this really miraculous thing. Didn't Grayson do such a good job last week? I'm so proud of him. So proud of him. I was like a proud grandpa sitting in the back row last, last 1130. It's just like, wow, look at what God's doing around here. He's raising people up. And uh, the people um, got into a place where they started to settle in and looked like and wanted to be like all the other nations around them. God had established them as his people and he was their leader. God would use judges and prophets to speak to his people and, and direct their steps. But ultimately, God was in charge. It was known as what uh, theologians would call a, a theocracy. That means God's the leader of the nation of Israel. But they looked around and all the other nations had kings. They would go out to battle and, and the king would wear his armor and have a flag and everybody would rally to the king and they're like, hey, that's pretty cool to have a king. We want a king. Let's have a king too. And so they go to Samuel the prophet at the time and ask for a king and, and, and 
they are literally rejecting God's leadership in their life and putting distance between them and God. This is a sign of erosion in our hearts as well as any time that we start to put distance between us and our relationship with God, uh, there's, there's a troubling that's happening there. God gives them what they want, and, and their first king is a guy named Saul. And God sets him up as the king. He looked like the, the stereotypical king. He's taller than everybody, better looking than everybody. Um, but he didn't have a heart after God. And soon he disobeys God. God takes him out of leadership. His son jumps in his place for about two years. But soon God was raising up his own leader, and his name was David. Anybody heard of King David in the Bible? Yes. You're like the most biblically astute service. I ask that every other service. Everybody just stares at me with their hands down. Uh, David and Goliath, if you're wondering, like, which David I'm talking about in Scripture, that's this, this king that God raises up, a man after his own heart, and he followed God wholeheartedly. He messed up some, but at the same time, he was always after God's heart. Jesus, the lineage of Jesus, actually comes in the line of King David. And uh, his son Solomon is born and, and is the wisest man that has ever lived, and if you read wisdom literature in the Old Testament, uh, you would see um, Proverbs, you would see the uh, Ecclesiastes, the Song of Solomon. All of this is written by this guy and some of his people that, that, that is just immense amount of wisdom in the Old Testament. And yet Solomon starts to invite other kingdoms to be a part of his kingdom. He would marry ladies from other countries with other practices and other religions and other gods that they worshipped and soon... Uh, he was allowing those gods to be worshipped in his house and, and, and around the people of Israel. And soon he himself started to worship some of those gods. And the erosion just began. The, the, the compromise was small little decision after small little decision. And, and, and over the next several hundred years, I, I, I'm giving you like 500 years of Israel's history right here. Saul came in um, 1020 B.C. And over the next several hundred years... This cycle would, would just continue where a bad king would be put into power. He wouldn't obey God. Remember, it was supposed to be a theocracy. God leads his people through this king, but the king had his own idea. And the king wanted to do things the way the king wanted to do things. And soon that, that erosion would just impact the entire land. God would send a prophet and the prophet would rattle their cages and there would be this like shaping up, you know, period of time. Maybe it's months, maybe it's days, maybe it's a year or two. But, but the slide and the erosion was inevitable and lives would just continue to get back to looking like everybody else. If you remember Grayson preaching about the crossroads, the story of God's people was intended to be a better story than the way that the rest of the world was living. Everybody was living for themselves and living for destruction. And God wanted to tell a story of redemption and rescue and healing and freedom and transformation. And they didn't correlate that, that, that if we're going to be God's people living God's story, then we got to live God's way. Yeah, we want to do things the way everybody else is doing things. And this cycle just continued over and over and over. And the kings became more evil and the prophets would call them back and the people would say, God, we're sorry. And then they would just go right back to these practices. Evil eventually won out. By 731 B.C., after the, the kingdom had split early on, right after Solomon's um, reign, into north and south. First, the north kingdom was taken into captivity by Assyria, the, the ruling power of the world at that time. 
And when I say taken into captivity, meaning they were deported out of their land as Syria took over their land, like this is our land now, and maybe some of you can stay as our slaves, but the rest of y'all got to go. I mean, dignity was lost. The walls were torn down. There was no sense of identity or, or, or purpose. It was just completely like, think of this, like the kingdom of Israel, they didn't start out to finish like this. Nobody starts a race to give up halfway through. But the erosion just became their story. Finally, there was a king named Josiah in 2 Kings chapter 22 and 23 who came into power right at the end of the southern kingdom. That one lasted almost 200, 150 more years than the northern kingdom. And Josiah reigned there for a, a period of time and brought about a great reform, but by 586 BC, even that kingdom too was brought into captivity by the Babylonian Empire and ceased to exist. This is not a good part of the story. <laughs> In fact, if this was all we knew of Israel's story, we would be sad. If we didn't know that there was a whole miracle that was about to come in the next several hundred years, we would be kind of heartbroken by this part of the story. And I think every one of our stories has these places of, of brokenness in them. But, but by God's grace, there was something here that he was wanting to do. And, and I think the sadness of this part of the story is important for us to reflect on. To see the compromise, to see the complacency, and to see the way the erosion took place in these people's lives and maybe reflect on our own lives. Josiah stands out to me in this as a picture for us to self-reflect against. In chapter 22, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, second to last king of, of Judah. Eight years old. I don't know if you know much at eight years old, but maybe he has some good people around him. He was 18 years into his reign, so he's about 26 years old when uh, he noticed that the temple was in, in disrepair. This is the temple of God, the place that people of God would go to worship. And it was kind of broken down and in, 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 in shambles. And so he, he sent some repairmen, some craftsmen to go in and start to make some repairs and restore some dignity back to what it meant to be the people of God. And as they're making repairs, they find in there some scrolls amongst the rubble. And these scrolls contain the books of the, the law of God, the covenant of God between God and his people that was given uh, in the desert when the people of God came out of Egypt. They were rescued out of slavery by, by God. And, and they're at Mount Sinai and, and God meets them in this place and puts this amazing relationship together. You're going to be my people and I'll be your God. And here's what that looks like to be my people. And and, and these scrolls were buried in the rubble. They find them. They bring them to Josiah. He begins to read the book of the law. And he, he is overwhelmed, over, un, undone, really. He tears his clothes like, oh, God, what have we done? How far have we come? How far have we fallen? You see this, like, pendant heart, this, this cutting to his heart and Josiah is hearing these words and goes straight to God. God, we, we repent. We are a wicked people. We have gone astray. God loves the, 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 the repentant heart of Josiah, just like he does in our lives. And, and God responds like, you know, I'm going to let you die in peace. But man, destruction is coming. This, this cycle has continued for so long. There's consequences with, with disobedience to my leadership. 
So Josiah is king and he calls the entire nation to himself. Get here. <laughs> we got some stuff to talk about. He begins to read the entire book of the law in the hearing of all the nation. Imagine this moment where maybe for, for the first time, many of these people are even hearing that there was a covenant between man and God and that God loved them and God wanted to use them and that God wanted to write a better story, a story of rescue and redemption, not a story of destruction. And like, what? We didn't. We, and they're just all cut to the heart as a, as a nation. And they begin to cry out to God. And, and in this place, it's so powerful because they, 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 they begin to just make a new covenant with God. Like, God, we are going to follow you. We're going to turn from all this wickedness, and we're coming after you. And Josiah leads a massive reform where the people actually begin to tear down all the altars that have, that have been set up to worship these foreign gods, all these places of, of worship to really, I mean, Grayson's talking about Moloch, this, guy, this god that they're sacrificing children to. There's all kinds of nasty gods that have been set up in their land and he's not just like tipping them over he's like burning them into like a, a, a pile of ashes and then spreading the ashes like uh-uh like none of this ever ever again the commitment to reform is massive in josiah's heart i mean the temple was filled with with all these ways to worship these foreign gods there was even temple prostitutes that were there to allow people to have sex with them to worship some of these foreign gods. I mean, imagine the, the brokenness that, that the church is the place you go to find a prostitute. This is how bad the erosion had been. Finally, Josiah reinstitutes the Passover festival. It hadn't been practiced for hundreds of years. The Passover was the remembrance of their rescue out of Egypt. When God set them free from slavery, that practice had been lost, and so the people didn't remember where they came from. And chapter 23 of 2 Kings, verse 25 says, Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did. With all his heart and with all his soul and with all his strength in accordance with all the law of Moses. I want to pray and just ask God to speak to our hearts today, where we might find ourselves in this story. Lord, each of us are here from different places and different backgrounds and different struggles and different things going on, Lord. And I just pray that you would meet each of us right where we are right now, God. Some don't know you. God, draw them to yourself. Some have drifted and disconnected. Draw us back. Some of us have been playing games with you and going through motions and acting like we're all close, God, when we're, we're, we're really a long ways off. Humble us, God. And Jesus, I just ask that you be powerfully speaking to your church, awakening your church, drawing every single one of us into right relationship with you, God. We love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name, can you say amen? amen? You know, I don't think any one of us want our stories to become one of erosion away from God. I said it a minute ago, nobody starts a race to not finish it. Nobody, nobody sets out like, hey, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to receive your salvation. Thank you for the gift of grace. 
And then I'm just going to ignore everything that you want to say to me and everything you want to change in me and go my own way. Nobody starts out that way. Everybody starts out so humbled. God, you would rescue a sinner like me, that you would allow me to, to come into right relationship with you, not by my perfection, but by the love and the grace of your son, Jesus Christ, that he would give me his perfection in exchange for all of my sin. What a gift, right? This, this gift of grace is not only to save us, but to transform us into the person that God made us to be in the process of transformation the problem with it is it's long just like Israel's story it's a long story of lots of different ups and downs and difficulties and great moments and horrible moments and if we're not careful um, small little compromises and little practices will slip and, and little habits and patterns will get formed that are contrary to the story that God wants to tell. God wants to tell a good story through your life. At the crossroads that you live at, God wants to use you for his purposes so that lives would be changed. And when we hear the good news of Jesus Christ, we're all in for that. But, but many of us don't recognize that you're in the middle of a battle. That there is a war on for your attention, your affection, for your heart, for your passions, for your interests, for your focus, for your energy, for your time. For, for all of you, there is a war on. And I think that discounting that, that war and that impact is how many of us get into trouble. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says to the church, he says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. It's normal when you feel tempted, is what he's saying. There's, a, there's temptations coming at you constantly, and this is the fight. This is what's happening all the time. But God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Sometimes this, this scripture gets misquoted, and people say, well, God's not going to give me more than I can handle not what this scripture says. Here's what it says. Temptations are flying at you, and our God is faithful. He wants to rescue you from those temptations. You don't have to give in to sin just because there's temptations around your life. Does that make sense? He is faithful and wants to provide a way out. But the reality that Paul is putting in front of the church is, guess what? You're normal. Normal people have desires inside them, have a world around them, have an enemy of your soul that is trying to kill you. All of this is coming at you constantly, but God is faithful. He wants to provide a way out so that you don't give in to these desires, so that you can endure and become who God made you to be. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 says, do not love the world, or anything in the world. Amen. It's like God saying to his people, you're a kingdom here in Israel, and there's all these other kingdoms around you. Don't fall in love with the way they do life. Amen. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. It's a story of destruction. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. That's a good story. 
Don't fall in love with the way the culture around you does life. Don't, don't fall in love with the priorities and the passions of, of everyone around you. Understand that God wants to tell a different story, a, a holy story, a set-apart story through your life. That he saved you not just so that you can get out of hell. He saved you for a purpose. There is a world that is dying to know the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. And and you and I tell a better story and people are drawn to Jesus. When Jesus is lifted up, he's going to draw everybody to himself. And for you and I to go, oh, I I don't want to live a story like everyone else. God, I want to live a story like your people, the people who are set apart for your purposes. Josiah got it. No matter where his people had been, Josiah got it. It's like, well, we're not doing it. We are not telling a good story right now. That's why I love this picture because Josiah had this passion in him that I want to ask you to look at in your own heart and in your story and go, man, am, am, am I passionate about living for the kingdom of God and the purpose of God and the glory of God or have I allowed my heart to kind of fade from that passion? Maybe you've never had it before, and Jesus is here today to draw you to himself and bring a conviction to your soul that says, you know what, I've been living for myself and living for the world and living for my own desires, and God wants to pull you out of that destructive life and bring you into a life that is truly life. But, but like Josiah, I want to ask you to go, have you, do you, are you reforming the land that you live in, the place that God has given you? The heart that you are stewarding, that soul inside you. The crossroads that you live at. Are you bringing reformation and bringing the the, the purifying of what it means to be God's people and live the story that God has called us to live right where you are? Or are you allowing little bits of complacency and little slides and a little erosion it's just a little bit of water it's just a little more rain that that begins to slough the dirt away and soon many of our foundations are exposed if we're not careful our foundations are are hanging out over a cliff and we got nothing supporting this life i love josiah as a picture for us just to reflect against when you see this story josiah first discovering the books of the law what happens? He brings them to himself and he begins to, to hear the word of the Lord. If you're going, okay, how do I start in my own heart? Start with this. Hear the word of the Lord. What does this mean? It means that you have a soft heart when the spirit of God brings conviction to your soul. See, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you've been given a gift of his spirit inside you. And that spirit is there to lead you into all truth. There is deceitfulness all around you. There's even deceitfulness inside you. Your own sinful nature is leading you to rebel from God. And so you need the Spirit of God and His voice inside you to lead you into the truth of who God has made you to be and the life He wants you to live. And and it takes a a, a practice to sensitize your heart to the Spirit's prompting. You're not going to wake up one day and just be able to hear God's voice. It takes work. It takes denying yourself and giving more room to the Spirit of God inside you. It takes increasing sensitivity, softening your heart to the things of God. When Josiah heard the word of the Lord, he tore his clothes. That's a picture of repentance. That's a picture of, oh, dear God, what am I doing? 
I'm walking away from you. I'm looking like everybody else. Like, like many of us, we, we hear and feel and sense conviction in our souls. And we, we just take it like it's heartburn from last night or something. And it's God going, no, don't go down that road. That's going to lead to destruction. That's going to lead to a life that you don't want to live. That is not the story I want to tell with your life. And, and man, when you hear the word of the Lord, there's a responsiveness in our hearts. First Peter 1 says, as obedient children. I love the word obedient there. Because it's that simple. When the Spirit speaks, obey. As obedient children. Do not conform to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance. You have desires that ruled your heart before you came to know Jesus. Sexual desires, desires for power, success, fame, popularity, um, you name it. Desires for drugs, for alcohol. You had desires that were self-gratifying and self-sabotaging. This is why you came to Jesus. Because those desires lead you to destruction. And Peter's like, don't conform to those desires. You were ignorant then. You didn't know that they were leading to your destruction. So don't go back there again. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. You are called to be set apart, to live a different story. Romans chapter 12 says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, in view of of the mercy of God, that he would rescue sinners like us out of our broken lives in view of the love and the grace and the mercy of God that he's poured out on your life, offer your body as a living sacrifice. Stop living for yourself is what he's saying. You didn't get saved just so that you can live for yourself. You were saved for a purpose, the purpose of God. Now live this way that your body is a living sacrifice. It's holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And then, listen, he says, do not conform to the patterns of this world. So first, Peter's saying, don't conform to the patterns of your own sinful desires. Now Paul in Romans 12 is saying, don't conform to the patterns of this world because they are trying to drag you away as well. Instead, be renewed. Be renewed or transformed uh, by, by the renewing of your mind. I love this because our thinking is where the erosion really starts. How we think about ourselves, how we think about other people, how we think about God, how we think about our purpose, how we think about everything it starts in our brains. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Literally rewire, reprogram how you think about yourself and your purpose and your time and your energy and your priorities. He says then you're going to be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is to hear the word of the Lord. Like Josiah did. And then what I love is, is Josiah was so passionate to just call the people together and say, let's get things straight. Make a covenant with God. What is this? It's like putting a stake in the ground. It's not just like a promise to try harder. It's you and I putting a stake in the ground that says, you know what, I've been living for myself. I've been living for the world. I've been living and, and allowing this erosion to come in my life. God, no more. I'm putting a stake in the ground today and I'm turning from the way that I've been living and I'm turning to you, Jesus, wholeheartedly and I'm coming after you, God. It gets really practical because Josiah is not just like talking a good game. 
Because then he sets out on a mission to tear every single idol down in the whole kingdom. Burns them. Your life. Things have been set up in your heart, in your mind, that are contrary to the love and the grace and the will of God. Maybe it's a pattern. Maybe it's a way that you started thinking or talking. People that you started being with. Maybe it's the word in scripture is like an idol. Idols are always good things that become too big of a thing. In this culture, it was idols to fertility, sex. Like, who doesn't want to worship the sex god, right? Like, that's like, <laughs> it's a good thing that gets twisted is what I'm saying, right? Maybe wealth becomes that idol for you. It's a good thing, but it gets twisted. Maybe it's success. Passions that become these things that, that start to be the most important thing for you. Tear them down. There's people in your life that you've allowed to set the culture of your heart. It's good to have people in your life that are far from Jesus, but I often think about it like, who's setting the tone? Are you or are they? And if they're setting the tone in your heart, then you need to, you need to change something about that relationship. It's not just idols and things it's people as well I mean, Josiah and his reform is getting rid of all the priests that are leading the people to go worship these other gods he gets rid of them completely he's not messing around oh you guys can hang out over there and we'll try not to pay attention to you no you're out you're gone and I think that the practicality of this is where many of us lack courage God's saying, I want reform in your land. I want, I want you to tell a better story. And you're like, yeah, 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 God, I should. And a lot of our, our shoulds and want tos haven't translated into actual action in our life. And I sense God just going, realize, I want to tell a story through you, a, a life-changing story, a city-changing, a world-changing city uh, story through you. Let's go, God. Last thing that he did, Josiah reinstituted patterns and practices, the Passover. The Passover was designed to draw the people's attention back to the rescue of God, rescuing them out of slavery. What you and I just practiced a few minutes ago was communion. It's the same practice. Jesus instituted communion in the midst of the Passover festival. It's God saying, you know, the rescue that I did in my people out of Egypt it's going to be a little bit different. The lamb, instead of being an actual lamb, is going to be the son of God, the lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And I am going to put myself right in the middle of your mess and rescue you out of the slavery that you've been living in. When we take that bread, we are taking in our hearts and our lives the, the leadership and the power and the authority and the love of God that was poured out through his son, Jesus Christ. When we drink that cup, it's a symbol of Jesus' blood that was shed so that we could be free from sin. 
These are practices that keep our hearts anchored to the reality of where we've come from, where we've been, and, and how much God loves us. You need practices in your life. You need to be here on Sundays to be reminded of who God is and how much he loves you. You need worship in your life to get your attention off of yourself and on to Jesus. You need the word of God every single day in your life to wash your mind and wash your heart. You need to be praying, seeking God's heart. You need people in your life that are going to keep you encouraged in the faith and in the life that God has called you to live. I think about all of these as just a, a call for us to go, okay. It's not about just stopping all the bad stuff in our life. It's about us, like Josiah. I love that verse. Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart. All his heart. With all his soul. And with all his strength. See, sin evaporates and brokenness evaporates in our life when all of our energy is after God. We don't got time and priorities for all the broken things of our past. When, when our hearts are so consumed with getting after God with all our hearts, that's when Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? In Matthew chapter 22, he said, it's simple. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. Everything you've got inside you, that is the greatest. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And for you and I to have this passion inside of us to become the people that God has made us to be and to tell the story that God wants us to tell with these lives, a story of redemption, rescue, and reconciliation. Man, it starts with this passion to say, God, no more am I going to allow my life to erode into all the broken things that have been going on around me, but God, I am going to walk different. I'm going to walk distinct and set apart and holy the way you've called me to live, and I'm going to love the way you've called me to love and serve the way you've called me to serve, God. I'm not going to allow my heart to erode into a place where I look like every other kingdom around me. Reform. So practically, I want to call you to repent. That means to turn. Stop making excuses. Stop talking yourself into the compromise. Turn from it and turn to Jesus. Maybe for the first time. Going, Jesus, I need you. I can't save myself. I need rescue. I need salvation. I need freedom from my sinful desires that have ruled me and continue to own me. Turn. Turn to Jesus. The second thing I would ask you to do is reach out. You need people in your life that are going to help you walk the way God wants us to walk. And if you're doing this by yourself, you are no match for your own sinful desires and the temptation of this world. The Bible is so explicit. Do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another daily. Every day. You need people in your life keeping you moving toward the purpose of God. You're not strong enough. Sorry. None of us are. We're arrogant if we think we are. Maybe you're just isolated and you need help. Like reach out like on the connect card. We've got groups. We've got people around here. We love. This is what the church is supposed to be about, is, is, is bringing this kind of relationship into our lives. And the last thing I would say is this. It's super practical, but reorganize some things in your life. Your time, your passions, your energy, your money. 
If you're looking like everyone else, you need to reorganize some stuff. You keep going the way you are going, you are not going to get where God wants you to go. It takes actual reorganizing decisions in your life to become the man or the woman that God has made you to be. There's places you need to stop going. There's passions that you need to stop pursuing. There's, there's things that you need to start investing in and stop investing in those things. There's time, energy. Look at it and reorganize it. I want to pray for you. Would you stand to your feet with me today? Jesus, our hearts are soft today. Your church stands before you today just recognizing, God, all the places in our life that stuff has crept in. Compromises have happened. The desires have started to rule again. There's some in the room, God, that never have known your freedom, Jesus, and there's a hope in their heart right now, God, that's just springing up like it can be different pray, God, that they would just hear you say yes right now. Yes, it can be. You can be free. You can be healed. You can have hope. You can have joy. You can know love. You can experience the acceptance and the grace of our God in heaven who knows you and created you to be in relationship with him. Yes. Some have lacked courage, God, to make the changes that need to be made. God, give them courage. Some have made excuses, God. We just repent of our pride. Of our attempts to clean ourselves up, God. We need a Savior. We need you, Jesus. Our source of love and our source of power to overcome. God, would you just empower your church today to seek you with all our hearts? to run after you with everything we are, to be the people that you've made us to be, to tell the story that you want to tell, God. Empower your church today, God. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. The team's going to lead us in a moment of worship together. And I know some of you maybe are ready to be baptized today. Our team would meet you in the back right now pray with you. We've got everything you need to take that step today, but let's worship together in response to what God is doing in our hearts. Come on.